It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports comment center with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at local sports topics, national sports topics, do some weekly gambling picks, and much, much more. We've got another great show in store for you today. Rick, take it away. Xavier got run over by the beat down Express Wednesday night, 85-65 at Marquette. The Musketeers were down 12 at halftime and then went scoreless for nearly six minutes early in the second half, allowing the Golden Eagles to go on a 15-0 run. Xavier is now 1-4 in Big East play and 12-6 and overall. Skinny, how worried should Xavier fans be? Are the Musketeers going to miss the tournament? I, I think you have to be extremely worried, A. Um... B, I think it's still too early to say that. I mean, based on the way they're playing now, the answer would be easily yes, right? I mean, they don't look like an NCAA tournament team. They, I'm not even sure they look like an NIT team. Um, but you have time to write the ship. The problem is I don't know where they write the ship, right? I don't know. I don't see a stretch where you go, well, there's four of five or three of four. Um, now, there's also a stretch where you look and you go, if you could get three of four there or four of five, then you are in, in a good spot. I just don't see a soft landing spot for this team. Do you? Well, I would say the soft landing spot is the next game. You're coming home to play Georgetown. Georgetown. Now, granted, just Georgetown home. just beat Creighton, yeah, home, which though. is a nice win. At home. Um, but Georgetown has been struggling, and it's you know one of the easier wins in this league, especially if they're not playing at home. That being said, I don't think – this team is like close to figuring things out. Either. So I don't think you can count on them winning that game. What I think you do look for in terms of trying to find hope if you're a Xavier fan is last year they were in literally this same exact spot. These guys looked exactly the same. Like they didn't want to be there. Like they weren't bought in. Like they couldn't lock in and focus defensively for more than a few possessions at a time. And then they all of a sudden flipped a switch after a six-game losing streak and won six of seven to close out the regular season in Big East play with a bunch of games that, like you said, you don't see any type of win streak available in there. So it's not impossible. They can get it done, and, and everything's still in front of them because the Big East is so strong this year that their resume can still be more than fine. I mean, everyone still had them in the tournament before last night's loss. But, but I also think you're the Georgetown game away if you lose it to literally not even finishing over 500, maybe. Overall, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I can say, I, I'm not sure I see this team winning again. I really don't. Well, I'm yeah, sure that, they will. I'm that's just, not, I'm, yeah, that's I'm not just saying happen, I don't obviously. see it, is my point. No. Um, Your backs are against the wall. You're at home, a beatable team. If you lose to Georgetown, this season goes sideways completely, in my opinion. I think these next six days of practice and figuring out can you at least start moving things in the right direction? Now, Losing to Georgetown is not going to be good, but it's more about playing. It's more about the process than it is the result. If you get the process moving in the right direction, you play the right way, and you end up losing a close game to Georgetown, and they played well too, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think you can still fix things and get back on track. If you play like you did against Marquette at home in front of your home fans against this Georgetown team, then yeah, I think there are some real questions about whether this team has a chance to write the ship or not. Um, all right, so how do they, how do they fix it though? That, I guess that's the, that's the question. And I think that was the question last year, right? Other than just do better. I'm not sure what the answer is. Well, I, I look back to last year. How did they fix it? Well, the, the answer is twofold one. And the, the biggest key is their identity with this team has to be lock in and fight and scrap and claw for 40 minutes. Every single 
game. And what they did last year was they played every possession of every game for the most part those la- the last month like it was an NCAA tournament right. game. I mean, they were their hair was on fire. And they could go 0 for 10 to start the game from 3, and they would still be locked in the same way defensively as when they started the game. That has to happen or they don't have a chance. They have to stop getting beat on the glass the way they have the last several games. Um, all of that stuff has to change. The toughness, the intensity, the focus. The other thing is offensively, which is what everyone will point to, which, by the way, to me, the offense isn't the issue right now. It's definitely no, they can't the get defense. Stops. They can't right. get a, yeah, they can't get a stop. They've had their three worst defensive performances over the last four games. And that's supposedly this team's identity, right? Exactly. It's completely abandoned them. But they do need to score more, obviously. And what they did last year, I know everyone thinks it like needs to be more movement off the ball, but... The thing is, they're getting wide open threes. Like, no one's going to follow them off the ball. They don't care if they cut off the ball. They'll leave them wide open right. off the ball if they want them to shoot that shot. What they did a good job of last year when they got back on track is creating movement with ball screens and executing well with there. The issue is, for that to happen, their guards have to play well, meaning yep. Quentin Gooden has to do a much better job of creating for his teammates and making plays and making better decisions. We're going to get to him in a second. Paul Scruggs has to make better decisions. And then, you know, if you're going to play Kiki Tandy at the point, then he has to be effective in those situations. And at this point, they're just nowhere close to getting that type of production out of their guards. Quentin Gooden's one of his last 20. Literally, one of his last 20, 22. 22, I'm sorry. 0 of 12, I believe, in his last three games on threes. Um, and you've seen him, we've seen him go through stretches of not shooting the ball, and that's part of what he's been. But you're now neck deep into your senior year with a month and a half to go, two months to go. How have you regressed this? How has he regressed this badly? And, and is he salvageable still? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the answer to the first question, obviously. I don't know what's happened. He's not the same guy. Um, I don't think he even really acts like the same guy on the floor anymore. He just doesn't have that same sort of attitude that he once had. Now, how it happened, is it fixable? I have no idea. I mean, those are questions for him. It's questions for the coaching staff. I'm not pointing fingers. It could be on both parties. I really don't know. All I know is... For our Xavier to get back on track, I think they need him to be at least passable. I don't think he can be terrible the way he's been the last he's few been games. Terrible, yeah, and and he's not their only problem. Lots no, of other guys have had issues. It's a place to start, but he's been as bad as he can play. I think at this point, and find, find for, me quality teams in this country without a point guard, though, right? I mean, there's you just don't have them. I mean, you got to have that guy. You got to. I mean, you know. I think Louisville's probably the best example of a team that's pretty good without a quality point guard. Yeah, and, and we'll it's see, cost them. It's cost them exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so so yeah, I think th- th- getting Quentin back to being a a serviceable point guard is a big deal, and he was that just a few games ago. I mean, I go back to like that Western Carolina game, and granted, it's Western Carolina, know, but, still, but he, he led great, them in scoring right? and looked fantastic. And then a game later, he was the complete opposite in terms of not scoring, but he was fantastic running the team and, and setting guys up and getting assists. So they just need him to get back to somewhere close to playing like that, and it'll give him a much better chance. Does a benching do that? Does the next six days in practice determine that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the next six days definitely determines it. Does he need a benching? You know, if he's going to keep playing the way he just did the last two games specifically, which showed that basically he's not coachable and he's not going to buy into what they're asking him to do because, I mean, Travis Steele flat out called him out right. after the uh, Creighton game. And then against Marquette, yeah. there really wasn't much of a difference. So, yeah, I think I think it could be a benching, but I don't know that that really 
helps fix anything because they're going to need him to be on the court and playing well if they're going to, to get things fixed. All right, so how much of this then does the finger get pointed to Travis Steele? Well, I think a lot of it right now because ultimately he's responsible, right? I mean, you can say, hey, the roster that he inherited wasn't good, all that, but we know they're capable of being better than what they're showing right now. They showed last year that they could get this fixed and and play at a higher level, and they did for a while, and people expected some carryover there. Now, I think expectations may have been a little out of whack coming into the season, but at the same time, things are really bad right now, and you can argue no one has really gotten better. Uh, Well, you shouldn't say no one has gotten better, but for the most part, guys haven't improved much over the last year under his watch and his staff's watch. And in, in a lot of cases, they've regressed after the way they finished last year. So I think there's certainly a lot of blame goes on the coaching staff because it's their job to fix these things and figure out how to get these guys to buy in and focus. But it's both parties, right? Like you can't do anything as the coaching staff if the players aren't going to be coachable and lock in and focus. All right, so I'll, I'll leave you with this question on this. We'll move on to the next topic. Um, if I gave you $100 to bet on Xavier fixing this or not fixing this and making the NCAA tournament or not, which way would you go? On fixing it, like if we could say like they did something like they did last year, then – yeah, I think it's possible that they turn this around and start playing much better basketball. Do they make the NCAA tournament? That all depends on when they fix it. I'm going to go with no, probably not, because I don't think even if they fix it, that they reel off like six of seven in this Big East the same way they did last season. This Big East is just too tough. So they've got maybe another game or two to kind of get this turned around or they're going to be in the territory where it's just going to be probably too little too late because you're going to be hard-pressed to reel off six, seven wins in a row. Is this roster going to be better next year? Well, it's going to be different. I mean, you're going to be adding some some pieces that I think will really help you. The problem is they're going to be freshmen. Right. And now, granted, I think he'll definitely, the staff will definitely look to add pieces through graduate transfer again. But how well has that worked it's out? That worked out very well from, at all. Other than uh, honestly, Hankins has been the best one, and he was a he's a D two guy. Right. Now, you know, we've seen a guy like Jason Carter take a year to sort of get acclimated to the high major level and then all of a sudden have a great second year after transferring up. So maybe maybe that'll be a huge help for them. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. They need, they need to change this roster around and retool how this team looks. And I think next year's class is part of that, but it's not the entire solution and definitely not in just one season. Right. All right, Kentucky had its four-game winning streak snapped at the buzzer Wednesday night in an 81-78 loss at South Carolina. The Cats were up 14 early in the second half before being outscored 40-24 over the final 11 minutes and 40 seconds. They're now 3-1 and in SEC play and 12-4 and overall. Skinny, what do you think of Kentucky's resume as things currently stand? I mean, the thing is, the national landscape, they're just... It, it, I couldn't even give you... The, the top two seed lines in, in, in each region at this stage. I couldn't. So Kentucky's probably in that middle mix somewhere of five, six-ish. I think their net ranking as of today, as we're doing this, I think is 26. Um, net's not the be-all, end-all, but that's at least a, a starting point or a number we can point to. RPI-wise, which again is not a be-all, end-all by any stretch of the imagination. They're way further down the list in that. Um, they are they're actually, are they below Xavier in that? I believe they are. They're, yeah, they're, they're 62 there. Um, but again, it's not a be all end all number. We know know that it's just again a metric. I think the resume is is okay. I just I 
I mean, if you're in that six, seven seed line, it just puts you in a very tough spot, right, for a team that's inconsistent. Well, the funny thing about this Kentucky team is, you know, the bracket matrix, which it, it is an aggregate of no, all I like the, bracket the matrix. different yeah. Yeah. bracketologists. Right. Kentucky probably has like the widest variations in what it. everyone's saying. Right. They're as high as a three seed by some people, and then some people have them as low as an eight seed. Right. And that was before the loss at South Carolina, which is one of the lower tier SEC teams this year. So that's the weird thing is they've won some really big games, but they're also losing to some of the lower tier teams that they are playing this season. So they have a really interesting resume. I think you're right. At this point, they are in that that mid-tier. Like, if you were to seed them right now after this loss, my guess is people would have them at, like, a 6-8 to eight seed right. right now. And this team is still dangerous regardless of where they are, I think, as long as they're in that, like, top 8 seed line. But they're... A, you know, I mean, the, fortunately, there's not too many landmines left for them. But I think, really, when you look at their schedule, the next three Saturdays are going to sort of dictate what the narrative is for this at Kentucky Ar- team. At Arkansas, at Texas Tech, and at Auburn, those next three Saturdays. Yeah, there's, all, a game, there's a couple games mixed in between, but those are the next three big games. All three teams are essentially top right. 25 teams by by Ken Palm and, and high in the net as well, which will make them probably quad one type games. So if you win at least two of three of those, I think you're in really, really good shape and probably going to end up as like a top five seed when it's all said and done. If not, man, then you're like, you you don't want to lose to all Vanderbilt. Three. Yeah, you know, right. like all of a sudden, because now all of a sudden you're you're pushing yourself closer to that bubble probably. Yeah, no, there's no question. I I, I do think this is still a good team. I, I'm perplexed how a team is, that shoots the ball as poorly as South Carolina does, and they're among the worst in the country, can score 56 points on you and a half. Well, and Cal talked after the game about his team. He gave him, what, 20 offensive rebounds? Yeah, he talked about his team's lack of maturity, and I think you definitely saw that it it was easy to see on the offensive end with some of the decisions and the the poor shot selection and just not running things after they were trying to draw stuff up and guys being individuals. But defensively is really where it cost them the most because these guys are so good at times when they're locked in, and then at other times – I mean, what happened in the second half of that game? That's a great like, question. How do you give up that 14-point lead in a blink of an eye like that to a South Carolina team that couldn't score 50 and, and a half if you locked them in the gym by themselves? And it sounded like they shot it great. Now, they shot it okay from three-point. They were 7 of 19, but they were still 29 of 73 from the field, South Carolina. 29 of 73. Now, they got to the foul line a bunch. There were a lot of whistles on both ways. I mean, there was a, a ton of whistles. But you gave up 20 offensive rebounds. There's no way Kentucky gives up should should give up twenty offensive rebounds to anybody. No, right? Not with the, not if they're going to play the lineups they play with all that size. Right. And I mean the problem is they're just getting they have too many zeros right now in this Kentucky team. Guys that they're just getting nothing from. I mean Keon Brooks. Um, you got literally Khalil, gave them zero. Khalil Whitney is giving them basically nothing on most nights. Juzang is giving them mostly nothing. Uh, Sistina gives them a little bit, maybe an occasional three, maybe some leadership, maybe some rebounding. But ultimately, he's not like a standout guy or, or giving them no, much splash eight, he on be, He should be your eighth man is what he is. Right. And and unfortunately, they need him to be more right. than that right. with this group. So, you know, I really like... Uh, what we've seen from Emmanuel quickly. He has stepped up and given them a legit this shooter. Consi- this has been consistent for him. The last five, six games, he's been really consistent. Well, and as a three-point shooter right. is the biggest thing. What this team really needed was someone to step up from the outside. We talked about, you know, it's going to need to be Maxi, which didn't seem likely. And fortunately for them, Emmanuel quickly has been that guy. So with him shooting the ball like that, 
it gives them a chance. And Haggins has really had some great moments offensively too that I didn't even know he was really capable of. So with those two guards playing like that, they have a chance, but they've got to get more consistent on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, that, that second half was just atrocious. It, 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 it can't happen, shouldn't happen. And you know, yeah, then all of a sudden you lose a game like South Carolina, and let's say you lose the next three Saturdays. That gets you seven right there before you even can slip up again, right? I right. mean, and then you're, you know, this team is not going to be in danger of not making the tournament unless it completely tanks, and I don't see that happening. But no. you put yourself in danger of putting yourself on an awful seed line. No, and I mean, when you, when you look at the losses that this Kentucky team has taken throughout the year already. Evansville, Utah. I mean, Utah just got Colorado beat them by 40 the other night. I mean, right. The, and now South Carolina, which is outside the top 100 right. in Ken Palm. Like, you worry all of a sudden about, like, the home game against Vanderbilt, who is terrible, or even the game at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I don't know if I worry about any home games, I guess. I know they lost to Evansville at home, obviously. I do. I yeah, worry about it. But literally, they do go any, to any Vanderbilt. Road, right. Any road game I worry and, about. And, uh, you know, they have Ole Miss at home, fortunately, but they do go to Texas A&M, who is outside the top 100. Right. So all of those games could be potential slip ups. And with this team, you just kind of worry about all of them i think yeah all right skinny switching gears college football joe burrow finished off one of the greatest individual seasons in the history of college football in impressive fashion monday night as he tossed for 463 yards and five passing touchdowns while also rushing for a score and lsu's 42 25 win over clemson in the national championship my question for you is is joe burrow already the most anticipated draft pick in Bengals history that was Joe Burrow dropping the mic, by the way, Monday <laughs> okay. night. I just want to see what that sounded like. Okay. Uh, I, I, he's got to be, right? I mean, I don't remember a level of anticipation when Kajana Carter was taken. I know that there was some anticipation, but I don't remember it being like this. I don't remember it being when they took Dan Wilkinson. I don't even remember. Big when they, Daddy. I don't even remember the anticipation when they took Carson Palmer. Um, I think, I think Carson I, was probably the most, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but not like this. Not even close. I mean, this feels like he is the savior times a thousand, right? I mean... Carson, maybe it was because you were coming out of the era of, of just dreadful football, and it never felt like one guy was going to be the fix. And Joe Burrow is not the only guy that's the fix here. There's more. We've talked about this ad nauseum. There's way more that needs to be fixed than just take Joe Burrow. Right. But Joe Burrow, I think, is the guy that I'm not sure Bengals fans have ever clinged to hope more than Joe Burrow coming in here and changing culture success level, and finally having a guy. And maybe that's what it comes down to. I don't even know when you watch Carson Palmer. And look, if, you watch, if anybody watched Carson Palmer in college, you looked and went, man, that dude, that, dude can, that dude can ball. I mean, he can play. He can spin it like nobody can spin it. Um, but, you know, not every one of his games was on TV like Joe Burrow's was. He didn't play for a national championship like Joe Burrow did. He didn't put up the gaudy numbers. Nobody's put up the gaudy numbers like Joe Burrow has. Uh, all of those things. Um, and Carson was a Heisman Trophy winner, too. But he, he, this, yeah, to answer you, this feels completely like the most anticipated Bengals pick in history. Yeah, I think there's no doubt. Those, the guys you mentioned, those are the only other times the Bengals have had the number one pick where it could have reached it this early on where you know you know ahead of time who you're going to take in terms of guys that they've taken where after you make the draft pick they bring a ton of hope like I think Peter Warwick is one of the guys that I think was really high because he seemed like he might be the best player in college football that year and he He never transcended to the NFL he was just too slow Um, but again it never it was nothing like this I think there's no doubt He's the most anticipated Bengals draft pick, and rightfully so. I mean, the show he's put on here, especially in in the college football playoff, was just a joke. I was listening to a to a radio show yesterday, and I wish it was a national one. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Doug Gottlieb, but neither here nor there. Daniel Jeremiah was the guest, and he does um, NFL, NFL scout stuff. Yeah. And the Joe Burrow question came up, and I think it was Doug Gottlieb, said, 
He said, give me the pros and cons of, of Joe Burrow. He goes, well, let me just start with the cons because he goes, it's not a very long list. He goes, he doesn't have a major arm. He doesn't have a huge arm. He goes, let's go to the pros. And he said, he checks off literally every other box that you could hope to check off. He said, and I can live with the arm. So, and I think that's been the knock on him is he doesn't have a hose for an arm. But I've, I, I agree with that. But I've also watched him make just about every throw into tight windows. Down the field, I was on a show with Tony Pike, former quarterback, obviously, and he hosts a show on ESPN. I was on there a couple days ago. We were talking about this. I said, you know, I, I'm sure you can appreciate this as a quarterback. He puts the perfect perfect pace on a pass, whether it's a gun into a tight window, whether it's it's a, a, a deep out route, whether it's one down the seam that he has to just barely fit over top of the linebacker or safety, whether it's a deep ball where he puts perfect top on it. I mean, it literally... You talk about the proverbial word bomb of where it comes from. It looks like you just put one up and a bomb dropped in, right? Perfect nose down, right in stride. He throws swing passes open. I mean, he doesn't throw it behind the guy. He puts it where the guy catches it on the run and creates more yardage. He does that on on slant routes and routes down the field. And even the one at the end of the first half after he had that great run where they, they decided to run the ball with no timeouts, he runs out of bounds. The next pass, he threw a bullet to the dude in the end zone it was a big I mean you can't throw the ball a whole lot harder than that so I look I, I wrote the column a couple weeks ago that said hey if you could trade down for two a tackle up dial to get trade down and get to a still and get some other picks I still think I would consider that but I have no qualms in Joe Burrow none, none whatsoever yeah I'm one who has been slower to get on the Joe Burrow hype train than everybody else simply because I talked about it coming into the year I didn't think he had the measurables that some of the other top quarterback prospects do not just this year but we talked about fields and burrow or i mean uh and lawrence, uh, lawrence next year but also because like the hype just seemed too much right. like people were a little too excited about a guy and he was having a great year but it's like it's one great year and he's a guy that doesn't have all and, the measurable and i can't look at the color i you know i know everybody wanted to look last year dwayne haskins 50 touchdown passes i said I, and i i wrote this too or i wouldn't have taken dwayne haskins i thought he was a system guy my fear for joe burrow is this the only fear it really is is this was this just system related with so many guys around him I can see that. The one thing I will look back on is even the year before, we only threw 18 touchdowns. The other thing he also did two years ago, the, the first year at LSU, he still only threw five picks. So, I mean, the guy does take care of the football. And in the NFL, if you ask coaches what's the number one thing you want out of your quarterback, you know, you'll get the nonsensical huddle presence and, you know, getting us in and out of plays. It's ball security. Take care of the football. Don't give it to the other team. You know, Jameis Winston is a great quarterback in many ways, right? I mean, he's got a gun. Um, he 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 can he can be a gunslinger. He throws thirty touchdowns. He also threw thirty picks. You can't have that. And that's where even I go the year before. Joe Burrow only threw eighteen touchdowns. He was just a guy, right? But he's also just a guy who only threw five interceptions too. So he had really good ball security on top of everything. And this year, all of a sudden, the gaudy numbers, I'm going to throw that to the wayside. I just know what I watch with my own eyes against great competition. That's the other part. He did this against top-notch comp. He didn't do this against East Carolina or Western Carolina or the Citadel. or you know, He had three good games against nobodies and then against the top competition he didn't play well. He did this against everybody. No, they played a great schedule this year. And no, your point about him playing with just elite talent all around him is a worthwhile one. And that was part of my point all sure. season of like him having one great season be around with all these guys around him. Isn't telling me enough yet, but what we've seen over the last several weeks, especially in the, the football college football playoff, he did everything you could possibly right. do in terms of showcasing yourself as a quarterback, physically, mentally, 
being in the big moment, having the spotlight on you. I mean, he had more surrounding him in terms of off-the-field stuff than any quarterback. I mean, just in this day and age, there's so much social media and hype and everything else around these guys, all the videos and stuff that they're doing. I mean, he had so much self-awareness about his brand and it just skyrocketing here over the last six months. It's impressive to see guys handle it the way that he did. And, I mean, yeah, he's checked all the boxes. I, I saw uh, Mo Egger brought this up on Twitter. Is it the the most, um, I guess, anticipated, or uh, does he have the most hope on a Cincinnati sports figure since who? Ken Griffey Jr.? Yeah, I mean, when, when the Reds traded for Ken Griffey Jr., it felt like, A, it was a piece that kind of put them over the top. You were bringing him back in the prime of his career. Um you know, you 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 got a chance to watch him kind of develop in Seattle, and you knew there was still something left in the tank. That that's a pretty that's a pretty close one to me. I'm I, I'm not even sure I can think of somebody else. Maybe there is somebody else, but I can't think of somebody. I think else. that's the only one because he was a mega star, right? What you already right. knew, he was an right. established mega yeah, star and the thing is, coming he a, back he, home. He was a mega star, not even even if he hadn't been from Cincinnati. On top of it all, right? He, yeah, if he, he was just like, coming here from as a nobody, right. that No one ever knew from here. Like he was a mega star right. in Seattle already. It didn't matter that he was a hometown guy, but the fact that he was made it tenfold even bigger. Now, I will tell you, though, then the heap of expectations that were placed on Ken Griffey Jr. Were insurmountable. Were insurmountable, and he got hurt on top of it, and he never performed at the level you expected him to and all of those things, and it really, unfortunately, imploded to a large degree. I mean, it got ugly and nasty at the end. Um, You just hope that's not the case for Joe Burrow because, look, he is going to have game three, game five, game seven, whatever of his rookie year at home where he throws two picks and he misses a guy open and they they lose to a team they should should beat or whatever and you will be uneasy as a fan. I, I think that's the only thing is how does he handle that? Because let's face it, really in two years at LSU, I mean last year was he was stepping into a team that wasn't a national championship caliber team. He just and he did some good things and you know he was oh okay Joe Burrow did okay. This past year he he had no expectation to start with hit the ground running, did all these things, and performed great and, and kept answering every bell. Now what happens, though, when he has some level of adversity in the NFL? How will he handle that? Because he's not had to really handle that to this point. No. All right, Skinny. On Monday, Major League Baseball and Commissioner Rob Manfred punished the Houston Astros for a high-tech sign-stealing scheme that dates back to 2017. MLB's investigation determined the Astros used illegal electronic equipment to steal signs during their 2017 World Series championship season and early in 2018 as well. The punishment included a $5 million fine, the loss of first and second round picks in 2020 and 2021, GM Jeff Lunau was suspended one year, which led to his firing. Manager A.J. Hinch was suspended one year, which led to his firing. And former assistant GM Brandon Taubman was suspended one year. Do you think the Astros' punishment was appropriate? I guess. I mean, I'm not as up in arms over this as as most people are, and I know that comes from me saying what the Patriots did was egregious, which it was, because they'd done it numerous times before. Um. I think this, listen, man, when you open the door to replay and putting putting video in dugouts and teams can see some of that and pick up on some of that and then you go underneath and you got all this stuff, you, you've opened the door for this yourselves as a league. You open the door for this. Um, and, and now you're trying to close the door after you opened it. I mean, if you wanted to, to shut this down, you would not be able to have any video equipment 
in the in the clubhouse in the in the in in their the problem is you you want players to be able to go see their last at bat and go what the hell just happened in that at bat to me how did he work me the other part is you played baseball how about this i mean you only have five fingers right i mean you can change sequences to to mess people up can't you i i i i I don't know. I just I, I can't get outraged over this. I should probably, right? I guess I should. I just can't. I can't believe how hypocritical you're being I know right that. now. This and is real- essentially the reali- same exact I, thing. I, I, realize, the I realize this. I, I do. I realize how hypocritical this sounds, but to me, it almost seems like, listen, dude, if you think they're stealing your signs, you know, go with a different sequence. How about, you know what? You got a fastball, curveball pitcher. You don't put any sign down. It's a fastball. You put a fist and four fingers and then three fingers and two fingers and eight fingers and whatever you want to do. That's your, I mean, it's not hard to change sequences up. So let me let me ask this a different way then. Um, let's say your team, you know, the team you're a fan of, right. does this, wins a World Series, and gets caught doing it. Does it bother you that it happened? No, I guess no. And here's the only thing I would say is this. And this is, again, this is going to sound hypocritical, and I realize that. I don't, and these things don't have to be conjoined. I think they can be two separate things. Were they stealing signs? Apparently, A, yes, they were. Okay, we can put that part of it over over in this, this basket. The other part, though, is B, is that what won them games? Is that the thing that won them games? I, I don't know. And I know you can also then say, well, if they didn't think that it was going to help them win games, why would you do it? But I don't know. Did that win them games? It obviously didn't do enough to beat the Nationals. The Nationals pitching was better. Right. And, and look, Houston's roster is really good. The Red Sox roster two years ago was really good. Did, did the sign stealing help them that much? Now, the one thing where you can see a statistical difference from when they started allegedly doing this and, and the time before is that almost across the board, their chase rates went down, meaning pitches out of the right. zone, meaning they knew when breaking stuff was coming right. and they quit chasing a lot of it, which probably could have an effect on a lot of hitters. Guys who are prone to chasing bad pitches out of the zone uh, can just lay off of breaking balls, and it probably would help them out. I'm interested to see, theoretically, now that they're not going to be doing this, will it change? That, will it hurt that, some of their guys? Yeah, all wanna, do any I, I of them start see that. That, chasing more pitches, and I will you be able that. to get more aggressive with your scouting reports then because these guys all of a sudden aren't the same with their discipline? Like, this could have an adverse effect. Do I think it's going to be huge? No, but when, if it is, when Jose Altuve hits two thirty-three this year, you'll know, right? <laughs> right. And I don't think it'll be that drastic. But I am interested to see. You know, does it have an impact? And did you think the punishment was right? I will say this: I don't think the punishment would bother me from a fan's perspective. Like divorcing the morals and everything else from it, whether you want your team to be doing something like this because it's not the right thing. If you're just saying, "Hey," You get a World Series, but here's what comes. You have to fire these people, and you get a five million dollars well, final. World Series in a heartbeat. Yeah, no that, question. All, this doesn't. Uh, that, that's always the case. This wouldn't deter me from cheating at all if I was the Astros. Like same thing with the Patriots. This is this is all the Patriots' first um, punishment all over again. It's not going to deter them from doing it again. Right. No, I, I I don't I don't disagree with that part of it. But I go back. I mean, if if you were the other team and hearing them banging garbage cans or whatever it was. Don't you think there'd be a little red flag that goes, hey, we need to change our sequence of how we're doing the oh, how I, we're calling I, games? I think there definitely was. 
But there, were, but it was more than just that. They were using electronic stuff they weren't allowed to be using. They were relaying that out to guys at second base. There was a whole thing. But it didn't change your sequence then. I, I think teams were skinny, but I mean, when you're able to just watch it back on video, even if you're using a different sequence, it's probably not too easy to stay ahead of the game. I think in the dugout in between innings, I change the sequence every damn time. Well, that's fine, but that's then also putting you at a huge disadvantage that one, you're spending that much time focusing on it. Well, I think two, I mess with them then. And two, what happens if you get back out and you're now on the two different pages and the catcher thinks it's something else and you throw a breaking ball in the dirt and it gets away and a guy's taking two bases like that will impact you and it's an unfair advantage if you're being forced to do that all right so 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 let's take this to the next degree because sign stealing has always been an art right in baseball everybody's talked about you know jim jim uh, jim can pick up jim jim's one of the great sign stealers of all time he's got the third base coach down to it to his science is, is is that wrong no because it's within the rules. You're not allowed to use the electronic stuff. That they're, it's the same thing as the Patriots. Skinny. I know that. I realize You're allowed that. to look I, over at the other team's sideline and see what you can see. You're not allowed to film it and then go take it back. Same thing here. You're not allowed to be using electronic stuff they're using. It's it's cut and dry. I don't understand how you, a guy of I know that. I really, can be arguing I, this. I, 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 again, I just, I, I, I'd like to be outraged by this, but I'm, I'm just not. I'm not expecting to be outraged, but it's crazy to well, have Well, I'm outraged like by the Patriots. Of, I am. That's the weird part. I get it. I'm so outraged by them that... I want Bill Belichick gone. I want, I want things done to them. This one to me. I just think you don't. Eh. You don't have any hatred towards the Astros. That's the issue. And maybe there's that. You I hate mean, the Patriots. Yeah, I hate Bill Belichick. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, there I mean, you go. maybe there's that. All right, Skinny. We're just three weeks away from the start of the XFL, and the entire country is buzzing. Yes, can they you are. You know it? why? Do you know why? Why you can still bet football? That's great, why. Great point. Overtime in the XFL will be decided by a five-round shootout of two-point conversion, similar to a penalty shootout in soccer or hockey. The defense is not able to score, as should a turnover occur, the play would be dead. Defensive penalties will result in the ball moving up to the one-yard line, while a second defensive penalty on any play, even in future rounds, will result in a score awarded to the offensive team. If both teams remain tied after after five rounds, multiple rounds of conversions will be played until one team succeeds, thus ensuring that no game can end in a draw. My question is, do you like the XFL's overtime rule? No, it's stupid. It's not football. It's just play play the game out. It's just it's it's moronically stupid. Oh wait, the NFL's sudden death rule yes, makes more sense. I, yes. You have a chance to get a full field stop. Get a stop. Here you're trying to do it from the two yard line. Come the on. Five. Or the five, whatever. Yep. I, I still I hate it. I want football. So I hate college football's overtime. I hate it. See, I think college football has a much better and more fair way of deciding who should win the game than the NFL. Yeah, does. so you go seven overtimes and both teams are punch drunk, and then the last the last time you're trying to go for two point, no, play the game out and end up in one a you know tie I, you know, or I would, two a sudden this. death. I'm not loss? even. I'm not. I, I don't even dislike ties. I don't. You had a chance to win it in regulation. Be done with it. We're good. Have a good day. Who are you today? These are the Move worst on. takes you've had in, in a decade. You've played, you played 60 minutes. You had a chance to, especially in today's day and age where you can go for a two-point conversion. I don't like New Year, New Skinny. The 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 New Year has done bad things for you. 2020 is just, not a good Everybody's trying to draw up different rules. So just honestly play that damn game. Well, first of all, it's the XFL. So I what that. do you how about, how about the, they've, they've got, now got their extra point rule where you can, there's no more kicks. You can go for one point from here, two points from here, three points from here. I can't wait I for like the day that. the NBA comes to a four-point shot, a five-point shot, and a ten-point shot i like the idea of a four-pointer for sure <laughs> i figured you probably would. um so i do not 
for entertainment. You know what a four-point shot in the NBA should be nowadays? If you make a mid-range jump shot, that's a four-pointer now. You've changed anything behind that line's only three. Anything in the mid-range is four. It's like darts. You've got a thin strip. Right. In that's the, right. Yeah. In the right, mid-range right, from like yeah. sixteen to seventeen yeah, feet. It wouldn't even be the lane. It would be like yeah, like there's a little almost like a circular strip, like the three-point line. You could shoot. Yeah, it'd be exactly like darts. It'd be a half strip, short corner to short corner. And then kind of around. It'll be 15 to 17 feet. And, and honestly, you can't even get your full foot in it. You have to be on your tiptoes to be able to do that. I don't hate that. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's uh, the mid-range four. Um, but going back to the XFL rule, from for entertainment purposes, I do not like it being from the five because I think you're too crammed up. It takes away a lot of your playmakers. I'd much rather see them be spaced out more like college. I do like this. The You get five chances alternating offenses and defenses both down on opposite sides of the court. Or uh, field, field just trading yeah. off, but I what happens say, if I've got a defensive guy that I want to use on offense to block? No, no hold He's on. He's got to run all the way down the damn field now. Hold on, I actually, I I think this might be the fairest way to decide a winner in football, though, because from the five, what does this probably favor? The best team in the trenches on both sides of the ball, and well, I would argue, to, but but yeah, and I would argue that's probably the truest sense of who the better team is. I think this might actually be the fairest overtime in all of sports. The one thing I didn't see is 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 how many plays do you get from the five? Five. So you, you alternate back and forth like a, like a shootout in soccer. It's one 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 for five. Right, but my point is so. But if I score the first time, do I get a second chance from the five? The thing you I'm get asking five is five chances from the five. Right, so then it's going to have to be a pass every time. No, 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 no. You don't get five down. You don't get four downs. You get five plays. Plays. Right. Period. So, so if I score the first time, I get another play from the five. So what if I score on all three of my or all five of my fives? Then you get. Then the other team has to score on all five of their fives. That's or you my, win. That's my point. So, but but the point is, I, I I don't have five downs to make five yards. So it's going to be a pass. There's going to be no block. There's going to be no running plays. Yeah, I, I hate it. Okay, I'll go back to I hate it. All right, you kind of blew out my uh, fairness, my fairness thing out of the water. See? I'll give you that. All right, so you, it would take the running, but, out. but you like it. Um, I liked it more before you brought up the fact that it's not downs, and you you're just going to be passing on every time. That's kind of a good point by you. Yeah, I, I'm I, not going to lie. I, I don't know. My t- my take was pretty I, bad on that. I'll give I'll give the it. XFL this. They're they're trying. I mean, like I said, they're trying with. Their, they've got a different kickoff rule from a different thing. I, I like some of that. I do like the shootout idea though, just because if nothing else, this is closer to college than the NFL. And the NFL's overtime rule is the worst. It makes no sense. I think the NFL's overtime rule is the best, and it makes the most sense. Well. It gives each team an opportunity. You know what? That sounds about right coming from you. There you go. All right. Speaking of rules, we debate them all the time. There was any number of targeting or leading with the helmet calls over the weekend of football (laughs) games to choose from. Yes, there were. There have been all sorts of bad calls in college basketball this year, including the hanging on the rim technical against Ashton Haggins on Wednesday night. Skinny, I want to know from you, what is the actual worst rule in all of sports? It, it, I, 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 this is not my answer to it, but the hanging on the rim to me, when we've come to the breakaway rims nowadays, I don't know why that's even a thing any longer. I mean, I, I know you don't want a guy to showboat and, and swing across, but you know what? If he stays up there and hangs for a while... It's only hurting himself. Guess what you can do? You can get it out of the net and push it down the floor, and he's still hanging there, and he's he's back. He's not back on defense, right? It's either costing you on defense, or if he's doing it during a dead ball, God forbid we all have to watch him quote-unquote showboating then maybe he'll fall on his back and hurt himself or die of a yeah. heart attack like in sixth man. I don't like I, I think for most guys, honestly, when they do hang on the rim, it's because they've either gone and I mean this sincerely, they've gone too fast and they don't want to 
I mean, dude, sometimes a dunk, if you're going too fast, you almost got to duck your head to get under the, the, the backboard. So I think some of it's they've gone too fast, they're out of control, that gets them back into control. Some of it is there are bodies underneath, and that's the allowable hanging on the rim. If there's bodies underneath and you could hurt yourself coming down. Yeah, I, I don't even know why that's a thing any longer. Back in the day, I do get it because you could literally, if you pulled down hard enough, and we had one actually in a high school game here recently, St. Xavier and Woodward, um, you could break a backboard. Um, that happens so I don't even know if it happens anymore. Right. No one breaks the backboard. Because you have those the, the, the rims the way they are. Yeah, so I could care less if guys are hanging yeah, on I, the, I could too. the rim. Ashton Haggins, the call against him, was terrible. He swung a little bit because of his momentum. That's my and point. And then there yeah. were two guys right against him touching his body, so he stayed up on the rim so he didn't come down right on top of their shoes and get a turned ankle, and he got a technical for it. It's like, such a stupid call. And like I said, a lot of times it is literally the momentum of – and I, honestly, I think people make the call of never dunk. I've never dunked, but I would. I don't think I'd, I'd call one for hanging on the rim. I just don't. Yeah. Because I, I get – I mean, if you're, dude, if you're coming straight down the lane 100 miles an hour and you're going to throw one down, you need to stop your forward momentum, and that is the way to stop it. I think you should be able to hang on yeah. the rim in, in cases like yeah. that. Um. I do not think that, that like I think that is maybe the dumbest rule in all of sports. Yeah, like I'm there's no real reason to right. have it there. I do not think it's the worst rule in all of sports no, I, because it doesn't have the biggest impact. You don't see it called to all me. That to much. me, I think it's simple: pass interference in football because I just don't know what it is. I, I you watch hand to hand combat ninety percent of the time, and once it's called, and twenty three times it's not called, and it's the same play that just occurred that that called it and the 23 times it didn't call it. That's why I think it's the, I don't know how to fix it other than if you put your hands on a receiver in any way, shape or form, for whatever reason, the ball's in the air, that's pass interference. I don't care if, if it's handed and the vice versa. If the receiver puts the hand on you to gain leverage or put that's any contact whatsoever, just make it clear cut any contact whatsoever, pass interference. Oh God. I mean, we have a thousand. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But, but the problem is right now, you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I would agree with you that the issue is we don't know what it is and it's hard to decipher, but you have to have pass you, interference. Yeah, you do. I mean, so call it every time. And then at that point, yeah, may, is the advantage of the receiver? Probably, but any hand to hand combat, flag. Is there a rule that, like, a rule that you just think is stupid that needs to be eliminated aside from the hanging on the rim rule? That it's just a in bas- bad rule? In basketball? In any in sport? In any sport? In all of sports? No, I don't think. Do you? Do you have one that comes to your mind? I yeah. I, pa- pass interference to me comes to my mind because I, I just I don't know what it is. So for me, I, I I still think, and it's maybe cliche, but I think it is the charge. Like the, and I'm not talking about offensive fouls. Like I don't think you should just be able to push a guy over with your forearm or bull over him. But we have fouls for those. You can call a push off. You can call lowering your shoulder. I don't understand but the, never is the quote unquote player control foul, the the charge block situation we end up with. I think it is if you eliminated that, like defenders were not rewarded for standing in and falling over like a parking cone on defense, it would free up the game in so many ways and make it safer, make it more fun to watch. I just think in in every way you could eliminate that from the sport. And no one would notice it except for the fact that the game would become a lot more watchable. Okay, so I, I think your definition of charge and mine is a little different in kind of what you're talking about here. So I, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about every offensive foul. Right. I, I, that's, that's where I want to clarify this. Okay. So if I'm coming along the baseline, I'm driving, and Rick Boring steps over to cut me off on the baseline and I run over him, is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about when 
you slide from the block to the lane as I'm coming down the lane in the air and I establish position, you want that part eliminated. Which part do you want eliminated? Because they're both the same in my mind. I I think in both those situations, I want it eliminated. I do not so how want do I any, stop a guy from going where he wants to go? I do not want any defender sliding sliding and falling down and being rewarded. For so how do I stop a guy from going where he wants to go? Stay in front of him. Right, and sometimes to stay in front of him, you have to use your body okay. to cut him off. And, and then what happens? So what happens when he runs through you, though? That'll be a foul on him if he bowls you over. Well, that's my point. That's what All I'm doing in the case I'm talking about, if I'm sliding to the baseline, is you start to go baseline, I slide over to stop you from going, and you run over me. Uh, he's going to travel. Something's going to happen. Like There will be an, a but call again, to be made He's there. going to run over you. If he runs over you, what should that call be then at that point? I'm not sure what we're talking about, okay. to be honest with you. I'm guarding you. I'm, I'm on you on the ball, right? I'm on the ball. Yeah. You make a quick move to the baseline on me. I slide my body over in front of you to cut you off from going where you want to go, and you run me over. What is that call? I mean, uh, there's a million things that could happen there. I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm saying you run me over, though. I beat you to the spot, and you run me over. What, what, what gets called? It's If you like pushed me over, it's going to be an offensive foul. Right, so, so, but that's a charge, technically. Right. I want the block charge eliminated. The thi- like the guy where guys are setting up and falling down as you're going up for a layup or coming down the lane or whatever. Well, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. So, but that's exactly what I'm just. That's the scenario I'm giving you right now. You you you've swung baseline on me. I've slid over, put my foot on the baseline so you can't get around me, and you run me over. What is that call? That's a charge, right? Uh, I I don't I can't picture what you're saying to be any different than what I'm saying. I want eliminated. If you're saying if you're saying there's something different so then happening, how do I, then, so then how do I stop you from going where you want to go? Play defense, get a block. I just I don't did. Know. I slid in front of you to stop you from going where you went, and you chose to run over me. I I, I think it's very clear what an offensive foul is. I don't think it need like the block right. charge thing can be eliminated. I don't think that needs to be there. It, it it can't be eliminated because you have to be able to have the ability to stop people from going where they want to go. I just disagree. I think you can the do that one, by playing the one, defense. I, the one I'll give you is okay. The one I'm going to give you is this. The one I'll give you is if I, let's just say I catch the ball on the wing and I make a really good move in the lane and I elevate. At the point I elevate, I slide underneath you and get run over. He's drawing a diagram of this, by the right. way. Right. I'll, I'll, <laughs> give, I'll give you that one. That one I, I, might, I might say, let's eliminate that. But I'm not going to eliminate the ability to cut you off from driving and you run me over. See, I don't think that's being eliminated. I think you can still do that. There will be obvious fouls on the offense. What you won't be able to do is pop your feet the way coaches teach you to do, fall down, yell, and get a charge call. Like That just shouldn't be part of the game. I'm going to have to agree to disagree on that one. I, I, I know you I, would. I, I don't. Because I, th- I think that's just proper defense. I don't think you should, as an offensive player, have the ability to go wherever you want to go. I don't think you do. Like I, 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 just, I think if you eliminated the block charge, you would. I just, I just, I disagree. Like I, to me, it's just not. That I think you have far more fouling because you have more people jumping to block shots. You'd have more people reaching in as people are driving. Oh yeah, you'd more have fouls far on the more defense. Fouling. Yeah, more fouls on the defense. So good. Sure. So we're gonna have more stoppage of play to go shoot free throws. No, I don't think so. I think that I think guys would either make plays on the ball or you'd give up plays. I think against good teams that, that honestly do a good job of drawing charges, I think it does deter offensive players from thinking they can go wherever they feel like going. Yeah, and okay? that's a problem. I don't want that to they be get better that ball way. movement. Get better screen off the ball. Move off the ball. Do- or just be a better defender. I mean, it's, it goes both ways. Like, we can argue that we're blue in the face. We don't have to agree. That has nothing to do with well, what we're Well, I realize that because we're not going to I just wanted to talk about the rule. No, yeah, no, I'm I with you. I, I don't think it's the worst rule of all. I, I, I don't. To I, me, it is. I, it's the one that w- would most enhance a sport by being eliminated. By far. By far. 
I I think pass interference would enhance it. Because but you we can't just, eliminate pass interference. You need that rule. Okay. Oh, so you're you're just talking about eliminating the rule altogether. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think what. There's nothing in baseball. I think I can eliminate. Is there anything you can eliminate in baseball? Um, there's what we talked the, about some things. The, in the, the past. neighborhood play at second base, maybe. I, I don't even mind that one. I mean, I think it's yeah. Yeah, that's a we got to move play. on. This topic that's, has gone on way too. It long. has, but I let's, like. Let's, I always <laughs> like those kind of things because it's very subjective. Let's get on to our betting picks. Let's go back to the stupid XFL rule for a minute, shall we? <laughs> no. Let's get on to Chad Johnson being a kicker. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that, that which I don't know what there is to say. I, I, that, I, I hope it happens. I hope, I hope it happens so much. Me I, too. I do just for the entertainment factor. That's where he belongs. Here's the thing: if he makes that team and he's trying out on Monday for the Houston team, and it's legit, he's trying out as a kicker. And he 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 is a huge soccer fan. He's a lot of things. He's goofy, but he's a huge soccer fan. He kicked actually in a Bengals like preseason he game. He can do it. He proved NFL, he can do yeah. it. That's the part I give you. There's a part of me that thinks if he makes this team as a kicker, that 42 year old 42 year old Chad Johnson will suddenly go. I can still play wide receiver, you know, and, and talk his way into doing that at 42 years old in the XFL. And he probably could. It, well, because here's the thing. They're all about entertainment dollars. Right? Like, they're not there for the football anyways. Well, is it Barstool Big Q? Is it one of those Barstool? Pat McAfee is going to be a sideline reporter. No, no, no. There's another. Oh. There's a bar. It's like, it's either PFT commenter or Barstool. Oh, PFT's trying out. Yeah, it's trying out yeah. as well. Yeah, legitimately trying out, which will be a disaster. Yes, that'll be. Chad won't be a disaster. I don't know if Chad makes it or not. It no. won't be a disaster. It'll be legit. No, Chad could kick for an XFL team. In fact, I would lean towards. Because there's no extra points. I would lean towards him making it. Actually, he'd help you on kick coverage because he can run. He probably can run faster than 90% of the guys in that league. Well, more importantly, he has more Twitter followers than any other player That's, that you're going to get, which is what hey, they need. It's what they need. No yeah. question. All right, let's go to our betting picks with starting with football. All right, last week I was five and five. Makes me one twenty six, one twenty four, and one. You were four and six. I'm catching you slowly but surely, but I'm running out of time. In fact, there are only three games left. I can't catch you. You're one thirty, one twenty, and one. So if I won out and you lost out, I'd lose by one. That's kind of amazing though if that happened. If I fell one pick short over this entire span of picking games, that would be unreal. Now, fortunately, you've had all these NFL games to catch up because if we would have stopped it at college, oh, football, college was you disaster. Yeah, I was a been disaster. a mile behind. I was I was all in on the Clemson train. Haven't lost all that thing. Blah bitty blue bitty blue. Yeah, me too. We yeah. both went with Clemson. How'd that work? Yeah, out not for so us? good. All right, so good at seventeen seven though, didn't it? <laughs> Could you have stopped the game there? That would have been nice. Sunday, 3.05, Titans playing the Chiefs in Kansas City. The Chiefs are favored by seven. The total is 53. You know what I really I really do want to go take a $20 money line parlay on the Titans and, and, and the Packers because I think they both have legitimate chances to win. But I also then I'm going to go, why am I pissing my money away because it's not going to happen in this game. The Chiefs are going to kick their ass. The Titans are living on borrowed time. I mean, to their credit, they've they, they've, they've. I've bet against them two straight weeks, right. and they've made me pay. I, I like I like them. I didn't like them in Baltimore. I love them, obviously. In fact, I you stole me a case of beer in case you were. Yeah, yeah, uh, I know. Which I is know. all good. Um, I did like them against New England. I did not like them last week, and I just have a hard time. The Chiefs, to me, down twenty four nothing. This is going to sound stupid, and it's easy to hear in retrospect. I still felt like they were coming back. It's like, oh, all right, yeah. they're going to settle in here, and all they're going to need is one score, and the one score is going to compound to two, and then Houston's going to crap itself a little bit, and they did with the Bill O'Brien fake punt decision, and then it snowballed. I just think the Chiefs, the Chiefs, to me, I mean, before the, the playoffs even started uh, on another podcast I did with, with Tony Pike, I, I, I had Kansas City and Green Bay going to the Super Bowl, and I'm, I'm not going to waver from that. I think Kansas City rolls this one. I think they do whatever they want. Titans... We'll try to have to play catch up in a big way, and they haven't had to do that in the playoffs. I'll go 37 37 19 Kansas City, so Chiefs and the over. 
I really don't want to be in the position of Benny against the Titans for the third straight I know, week I know it. I know they've it. made me look stupid, but I'm going to do it. I think it's Chiefs 31, Titans 17, so that's Chiefs and the under. Okay. Sunday at 640, we got Packers at 49ers. The total is 45. The 49ers are 7.5-point favorites. Frisco's, they've done nothing but answer every call, right? I mean, um, they very rarely wavered. You know, they go to New Orleans and get a win when it looked like, all right, you're going to go to New Orleans, you're not getting that win. They then in the last regular season game uh, go to Seattle when they needed to get a win and get a win. You were playing a Minnesota team that had just gone to New Orleans and it felt like, all right, Kirk Cousins got his win and Frisco hasn't been in the playoffs a whole lot. Um I think they're legit good. I, I mean, like literally legit good that I wouldn't have believed that when the season started. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to ride the Packer train. I'm still sticking with them. Green Bay 27-24, Packers and the over. Are you kidding me right now? This is the third straight week we've done this. Do you get the same thing? I've got the exact same score. Packers 27, 49ers That's 24. Um and the funny thing is, I feel the same way as you. Like, I even said last week, I think the 49ers are kind of a team of destiny. Yeah, and I don't feel like I'm picking against the Niners because I don't like the Niners. I think it's more I'm picking Green Bay because I think Green Bay is really good, and Aaron Rodgers has done this before. Well, and the Packers lost, what, 38-7 to earlier this season right. against the 49ers? Right. Right. But even then, when that game happened, I remember thinking the way Aaron Rodgers was talking at that postgame press conference where he's like, we'll be ready for him next time, where he just like knew that this game was going to happen yeah. and almost made you feel like they were holding something back, which obviously they weren't. They weren't there was right, no right. reason to not, do that. Yeah, that you wouldn't time, do yeah. that in the NFL. But I don't know. There's just something about Aaron Rodgers that makes it almost impossible for me to pick against him. And last week, he looked like vintage, yes. prime Aaron Rodgers. He was fantastic. I just can't pick against him. I'm going Packers and, and going to the Niners. Go, but, go, going back to, to that area where he played college football at Berkeley, and yeah, granted the game's in Santa Clara, but it's kind of, it feels like it's all the same area to, to me. I just, I can see him going back there and winning that game. So I don't really like either of these lines, though, I don't, to be I don't, honest with I, you. I like the Chiefs line. I think the Chiefs just massacred the tie. I do. The other line, I don't lie. I'm with you. I, the, the, well, the thing I do like is, is we're both picking Green Bay outright, so we obviously love the seven and a hook, right? Well, here's the play I actually made because I still feel like the 49ers could cover that seven and a half, especially because I've been so bad betting NFL lines. Yeah, I think, that, anyway. I, I think that's a bad number. I teased both. I teased these both two ways. games. I took the Chiefs one uh, by one, one and a half, right? And yeah, or this it would be down to one. And uh, I took the Niners thirteen and a half. You mean? Packers. I mean the Packers thirteen and a okay. half plus okay. thirteen and a half. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that would be my play if you were actually asking me for my betting. All right, advice. there we go. And skinny our college basketball. Both of us last week we were three three and two. And here's the thing I want to say, and I'll, I'll give you the overall. And I'm forty five twenty eight and three. You're thirty nine thirty four and three. So we're both above it. We do these on Ken Palm lines. So sometimes if you hear us do this and you're like, well, that's not what the line ended up being. The line doesn't come out till the day of or little overnight. So we're trying to do these ahead of time. So we take the Ken Palm lines. And as we just told you, we were 3-3-2 three, three, and two last week, which means we pushed two games. We pushed Kentucky-Alabama at 9, and we pushed the total in Creighton-Xavier at 142. Those are the numbers that the man sets just on analytics, and they hit dead on. That's incredible to me. And Am I wrong? This is the third time it's happened already this year with just right. the lo- local, local teams. teams right. four local teams can, a week. Can you imagine Yeah, what it, what it would be nationally? I mean, I can't imagine how many he's hit right on the head. The only thing I would tell you is for those of you that, that maybe wager and you're looking for some kind of advantage by using... Uh, metrics or numbers 
don't use Ken Palm. And the only reason I say it, I'd use it, but I would also, I'd look and and realize he's pretty damn spot on. And I guess I would say then use it because maybe if you see a three three to five point differential, that's the time to do it. Yeah. But you're just not going to see it. If you see an over three point differential between Ken Palm and Vegas, I usually jump all over. Yeah, you should. And you should. I mean, that's probably the right way to go. All right, Thursday seven. Thing is, you're not going to find that very often. No, it doesn't happen. I mean, he's very ridiculous. Often at all. Thursday seven p.m. Cincinnati is at Memphis. The Tigers are four point favorites. The total is one forty two. Said last week when I picked UCF, and that was one of my losers. Um, that it's As? hard for me to pick UC to win a game on the road until they win a game on the road. How about the Bearcats at UCF? Um, that was a very good performance. I, I think they're starting to find it. I don't know if they find it enough to go win here at Memphis, but this feels like it's going to come down to a last possession game to me. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Memphis sixty-nine sixty-seven. So I'll go, I'll go UC and the under. I am going to. I agree with a lot of what you said there. I think UC is playing a lot better, but Jaron Cumberland is still hasn't emerged. I mean, he had that one pretty good game, but he has not emerged. <laughs> as the Jaron Cumberland that we were expecting to see this season. And until he becomes that guy, I'm not picking UC to win a game like this on the road. I'm going to say Memphis does cover that for Memphis 75, UC 70. So that's Memphis and the over. I don't see that game getting the 70s. I just don't. Well, we'll agree to disagree on on that one then. All right. Thursday at 7 p.m., Youngstown State is at NKU. Youngstown State, big surprise in the Horizon League this year. You've got a 4-1 and team going against a 4-2 and team in the conference, battling out basically for second place behind Wright State. The Norse are nine-point favorites. The total is 131. NKU routing a three-game winning streak all on the road, back here to home. I think they've, they've found it, whatever it is. You're closer to the program than I am. You do games for them on the, on the NKU radio network. You'll be on the call of that game. Um, if people are hearing this podcast on Thursday afternoon, you'll be on the call on Thursday night and obviously the other games moving forward. I, I think they've kind of found it. I'm going to go NKU and kind of a, a romp. NKU 77-62, so the Norse and the over for me. I think that's possible, but I actually think this Youngstown State team is fairly legit. Darius Quisenberry was really impressive last year as a freshman. He's even more impressive this year as a sophomore as their go-to guy. And then they have like six or seven other guys back from last year's team. So they've got experienced guys who know how to play their role. I think they're going to give NKU a good game. I expect the Norse to win but I do not know if they'll cover that nine-point spread. I'm going to go NKU 67, Youngstown State 60. So that's Youngstown State covering the number and the under. But you got NKU winning outright comfortably still. That's correct. And we go to Saturday at 4 p.m. Kentucky is at Arkansas. The Razorbacks are a two-point favorite. The total is 134. Bud Walton Arena, which I visited earlier yes, this you season did. watching NKU, yep. should be rocking for this one. Yeah, um... Eric Musselman can coach a little bit, yeah. Right, Arkansas can really defend. Yes, they can, and they're they're actually scoring at a decent decent clip now too. Their only two losses were right in overtime at Western Kentucky, and Western Kentucky's not awful. I mean, you, you, as Arkansas, you probably shouldn't lose that game, but they're not awful. So this wasn't a, a schlub game by any stretch. And at LSU by two points, that's it. I think Arkansas is legit, and I just. I, I probably shouldn't pick against Kentucky, but it being on the road, coming off the South Carolina debacle, and I think Arkansas is really, really good. I mean, honestly, Arkansas wins this game and starts to take care of business. 
you start looking at them in that three, four, five seed line, right? Yeah. Maybe even higher for I mean, they're sakes. probably at the five seed line now. Right now, yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's a very tough spot for Kentucky. I'm going to go Arkansas 70, Kentucky 64. So Ar- uh, I'm going to change it. 70 to 63. So Arkansas in the under for me. Arkansas has Isaiah Joe as a shooter for them. And outside of that, they kind of just rely on a couple of wings slash guards who get by on their athleticism and hustle and scoring in the mid-range and around the rim. Against Kentucky's length, assuming this Kentucky team plays defense the way they're capable of playing defense, that's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be a recipe for success in my opinion. I think Kentucky pulls off this win, especially after losing to South Carolina. I'm going to go Kentucky 68, Arkansas 64. So that's UK, and it stays under. So, that, so real quickly, though, back back to that. So you think Kentucky score, and that 68 is not a lot. You think they score enough in this game, though, to, to, to beat Arkansas on the road? Yeah, and it's not so much the, the confidence in Kentucky's offense, but I do think their defense will be able to hold Arkansas down, and what that will create is more opportunities where Arkansas mm-hmm. doesn't get to set their own defense, which will lead to some easier points for Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly Kentucky needs the bounce back, and, and Cal is usually pretty good in those spots. I, don't, I just think I think I think is Arkansas is legit. Is that, I, I come back to that. They are legit, but they're not as good as some of the other teams Kentucky has already beaten this season. And this Kentucky team has risen up against the top teams they've played. This is going to be a big time environment for them. Arkansas fans will be ready because they feel like they have a good team. I, I think they uh, come ready to play. All right, there we go. And uh, we go all the way to next Wednesday, January twenty second, for Xavier's next game as they have a full week off after uh, the loss on this past Wednesday. Xavier is a four-point favorite at home against Georgetown. The total is 146 in that game. Georgetown doesn't guard anybody, so that helps, right? That, that should help. It should. <laughs> the, the week in between should help, right? Theoretically. Should. The players might not want it, but yeah, they're going to get it. I, I, I'm going to give them one more shot at this. I'm going to go X80 to 70. Um I think being back at home, having the week in between, back against the wall, all of the thing, all the cliches you can come up with, I've, I've just come up with. I just, I don't think Georgetown is all that good. They did survive. They lost a couple guys early in the year, and they actually started playing better. I mean, they played for a stretch where they were legit good for a, for a short period of time. I just don't think they are, especially in this league. So I'll go X80 to 70. I felt very similar to how you felt before Xavier played Marquette. last night. Yeah. I, I I get it. At Marquette. I get it. After seeing that performance and the way that they just folded when they got down and the way they completely abandoned their identity and their system, I don't think they're they're close to getting this thing right. I try to compartmentalize. Well. I really I try to compartmentalize home and road. And that's sometimes the more road performances you can just push to the side. Like like Kentucky to some degree. I can almost push the second half at South Carolina but that, a little bit to the side. But they just lost their last two home games by that. double digits for the first time since they were in the MCC. So, I mean, I'd like to compartmentalize it, but I just don't know that you can do that with the Xavier team right now. You're probably taking the more logical approach. Here are the three but, road games for Georgetown. I'll give it to you real, real quickly. Georgetown on the road in the league. Lost to Providence 76-60. Lost to Seton Hall 78-62. And lost to Nova 80-66. Arguably the three best teams in the league. I'm going to give you that part. But on the road, they just don't seem to bring the same level no doubt and I think that goes for a lot of teams in this conference but I still I just can't pick this Xavier team to win right now I I, I understand it I'm going Georgetown 72 
Xavier 67. Wow. That's Georgetown. And the one thing I do feel very good about is the under. I think Georgetown has been under in their last four, their last five games, and Xavier's been under. I don't under think they went under against Creighton. But oh yeah, yeah mostly be- before that, prior, yeah, prior prior to the Creighton yeah, game. Yeah, um, and Xavier has been under in four of five uh, prior to the Marquette game. I'm not sure what happened in the Marquette game, but uh, there you go. So I like Man, the under. All right, so, so let me wrap it up with this: If they lose to Georgetown, what, what becomes of this season? I mean, that's a good question. Like again, I think they can still fix it, similar to like they did last year. But now you're in a position where you're just starting to run out of time and digging yourself too big of a hole. Um, it's the Big East, so everything is a top 100 win going forward. There's plenty of plenty of big wins left on the schedule, especially with like the way Butler's playing. That's giving you a couple more Quadrant 1 games ahead of you because you haven't played them yet. But, yeah, if they lose at home to Georgetown, it could, could get ugly. Yeah, it sure could. All right, we'll be back uh, next week with another podcast. Actually, uh, don't forget, Sunday night, the college basketball podcast as well. Uh, join us for that. Thanks for being with us for this one. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. 